uh, series of Advent where we're watching and waiting. And this morning we're going to be talking about weight training. Does that sound fun? Anyone done any weight training uh, recently? Uh, It's been a long time since I've done any weight training. Uh, But uh, the idea is that uh, when you're trying to strengthen your arms and your muscles, you you put pressure on your muscles. Um, It has to be enough pressure if you're lifting weights that it actually makes it feel like you're getting weaker as you lift the weights. Uh, if you don't feel weaker while you're lifting weights, then the, the, the chances are that they're not going to help you to, to get stronger. Um, what you're actually doing while you're, you're weight training is that you're breaking down muscle fibers so that uh, you're actually making the muscle fibers weaker so that they grow back bigger and stronger. That, that's actually what's happening in, with the muscles as you, as you work them out. And so, so this morning we're going to be talking about um, weight training, but, um, but uh, it's, of course, a different kind of weight that I'm talking about. It's a different type of weight where the same principle actually applies. I'm talking about weight as in W-A-I-T, uh, weight training, uh, where the same principle applies, where, uh, if you like, no pain, no gain. And so the Christian walk has a lot of waiting, doesn't it? It, it involves a whole lot of waiting, and and another one of the um, images in the scriptures for for this pain of waiting is the image of childbirth, which is of course very fitting for the season of, of Christmas. It's all about childbirth. It's it's all about uh, a birth, and of course, uh, childbearing, uh, giving birth is a very painful process. I haven't been through it myself, but I was there for each of my three daughters' birth, and it's a very painful process, and of course it involves nine months of waiting. And, uh, and whilst, it's, of course, it's difficult for mum, it can be difficult for dad as well. Uh, there's a story of uh, three guys who were in the waiting room at hospital waiting for um, news about their newborn baby, and uh, after a while the midwife came in and she went up to uh, one of the men and she said, uh, congratulations, you're, you've had twins. And he said, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I actually played baseball for the Minnesota Twins. Couldn't believe it. And 20 minutes later, another midwife came in and spoke to one of the other gentlemen. He said, congratulations, you've had triplets. And he said, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I actually work for the company 3M. And right at that moment, the third guy just fell on the floor and fainted. And, uh, and they gathered around him and they woke him up and they said, well, what's wrong with you? Why did you, why did you faint, uh, fall on the ground and faint? He said, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> well, Christmas is about a birth and uh, it's at the very heart of the story of Christmas. But if you notice from the reading, it's at the very heart of the story of Hannah and it's the ver- very heart of the story of Anna. And, and both of these women, Hannah and Anna, they were in God's waiting room, like the three men, but they were in God's waiting room. And like that third guy in the story, they got way more than they bargained for. They got way more than they bargained for while they were in God's waiting room. Uh, in fact, there are an amazing number of parallels between Hannah and Anna. You can hear the first one. They've basically got the same name, Hannah and Anna. But let me just, as I was preparing, point out some of the parallels that I see between these two women. The first is that they were both women living in a patriarchal society. 
they were both bereaved in different ways. Hannah, as we heard, couldn't have kids, but Anna was a widow. She'd been a widow for 50 years. She was an 84-year-old widow. And, and this made both of these women social and spiritual outcasts in their society, as if God must be punishing them for their situation, and that's why they are where they are. Uh, that was what the experience was like in those days. Uh, similarly, the, both women, they were living in a time of social and moral and spiritual darkness. Remember, the, the time of Hannah was in the time of Judges, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If you read the last three chapters of Judges, I guarantee you they're the most gruesome and horrific chapters in the Bible that you'll ever read. Some of you are going to go home straight to it and read it uh, when you get home. So these were stark spiritual times that Hannah lived in, and so it was in the time of Anna. Uh, that God had been silent for 400 years and they were under Roman occupation. The, the, the similarities between this, these women just keep on mounting up. And, and most importantly, these were women who both spent a huge amount of time in the temple praying. That's how they spent most of their time, in the temple praying. And they were both waiting. They were in God's waiting room. They were waiting for God to do something in their own lives, but they were waiting for God to do something much bigger in the life of the people of God. And so there's this long list of parallels. It says of Anna in Luke 2, 38, they were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, ESV, they were waiting for the redemption of Israel. They were in God's waiting room. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about weight training. And we're going to talk about the pain of waiting, the practice of waiting, and the power of waiting, primarily from 1 Samuel, but we're going to see it in the story of Anna. So firstly, the pain of waiting. Uh, We can be glad that times have moved on because back in those days, a a woman's lot in life, their, their role was to get married and to have kids. That was their role. And if they couldn't do that, then uh, eyebrows would be raised, questions would be raised about what's wrong with them. And again, the sense where what's God punishing them for if they aren't able to fulfill that role? And of course, Hannah wasn't able to fulfill that role because we're told in verse 5, have a look, it says, the Lord had closed her, her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't bad luck. It was the Lord who closed her womb. Behind all of her pain was the presence and power of the Lord. In other words, God was up to something. She couldn't see what, but God was up to something. And that certainly, though, that doesn't make it easy. It didn't make it easy for Hannah. Look at verse 6. It says, Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her. Halfway through verse 7, Therefore Hannah wept and wouldn't eat. Verse 10, She was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. Verse 11, she says, Look on the misery of your servant. Verse 15, she says, I am a woman deeply troubled. Verse 16, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation, which means vexation, not a word I use. It means annoyance, irritation, and trouble. This is the pain of waiting. 
I'm so grateful to God for giving us scriptures that are so raw and so real about the human experience. I'm so grateful to God for giving us this woman, Hannah, as an exemplar, as one of the unequivocal heroes of the story of 1 Samuel. I'm so grateful to God for holding, having Hannah held up to us as an example of what it looks like, the pain of waiting. But there's more going on here because Hannah is not just an example. Hannah is a a picture. Hannah is a picture of the people of God. You see, in the same way that Hannah hasn't been able to bear children for Elkanah, so Israel hasn't been able to bear spiritual children for God. If you like, Israel is God's barren wife because of their wickedness. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. This was a a time of terrible darkness and moral decay, as I've already said. And so Israel have been unable to bear the spiritual children that God so desperately longs for his people to bear. And so the question for us today, as we look at our day in our church and for St. Philip's is this. Are we bearing the spiritual fruit that God so desperately longs for his people to bear? Are we bearing the spiritual children that God so desperately longs to bear? Or are we, the church, God's barren wife, not producing spiritual fruit, not raising up new spiritual children who are born again by faith? Hannah is also a picture of the people of God. And if we are Israel's barren wife, then could it be that as for Hannah in the story that we're looking at this morning, that the place of our greatest pain could actually be the place of our greatest potential? You see, Hannah's pain was, just like ours, was a call for her to have faith in God. Hannah's weakness was a call to rely on God's power and her grief was a call for her to cry out to God for his mercy and his grace. And so the place of her greatest pain became the place of her greatest potential. And doesn't that sound like someone else in the Bible? Jesus, perhaps? What was the place of his greatest pain? It's up there behind me. The place of his greatest pain was on the cross. And what was the place of his greatest potential? It was on the cross where he bore the sins of the world. And so could it be for you today, brothers and sisters, that the place of your greatest pain is the place of your greatest potential? It was for Hannah. Del Ralph Davis says, when his people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then God loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. Once we see where God often begins, we will understand how we can be hopeful and encouraged. And so may the God of hope fill you with such joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in your pain with hope. Resurrection hope that conquers the grave. This is the pain of waiting, but it brings us to the practice of waiting. And this is where uh, 
Hannah is almost exactly the same as Anna. Uh, Anna in Luke 2 verse 37, we see the practice of waiting in Luke 2 37 where it says, Anna never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. She never left the temple. This is the practice of waiting, waiting for God to rock up in her situation and in the situation of God's people. I like to think that um, 30 years later, the Lord Jesus, when he told the parable of the persistent widow, 18 chapters later in this story, 16 if my maths is right, this is chapter 2, he told the parable of a persistent widow, didn't he? And I like to think that he was thinking back to the story that his parents told him about when he was a baby boy and they brought him to the temple and there was a woman there that they met called Anna who'd been there. She was 84 years old. She'd been a widow for 50 years. And when they came up to her, her face was beaming and she was filled with delight. Don't you see? Anna is the persistent widow. Jesus told the story of the persistent widow so that we would always pray and never give up. And what is Anna but a persistent widow who always prayed and who never gave up? And after so many years of over 50 years of praying, what happened? Jesus rocked up. Jesus rocked up in the temple while she was there praying. And isn't it interesting that the story of the book of Acts starts in exactly the same way as the book of Luke here with the people of God watching and waiting for 10 days in a prayer meeting until what? Until Jesus rocks up at Pentecost with the sound of fire and a rushing wind. How interesting that Luke, the author, would start the gospel of Luke with a woman watching and waiting until Jesus rocks up. And then he would begin this second edition of the book of Acts with God's people watching and waiting in a prayer meeting for 10 days until Jesus rocks up. And so may God in his mercy by his Holy Spirit be calling people and whispering to people this morning and saying to you, you're an Anna. You're an Anna. And I want you to keep on watching and I want you to keep on praying until Jesus rocks up. May God be whispering that to you this morning. And if he is, I pray that you tell someone and that you get prayer. Hannah is a spiritual powerhouse in this story and so is Anna. How wonderful for God to put these weak, impotent impotent women, social outcasts, as the catalyst for the movement of God and the coming of the kingdom. In 1 Samuel through Hannah and in in Luke through Anna. And so see it in Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 7. It says clearly, Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, verse 7. Verse 24, she brought Samuel to the house of the Lord. Do you know what God says in Isaiah 56 verse 7? He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And what are they doing? What's Hannah doing in the temple? She's praying. What's Anna doing as she goes in the temple? She's fasting and praying and watching and waiting and praying. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus, when he comes to the temple, is a grown man. There's a din, there's noise, no one can pray. And so he cleanses the temple and and he says, my house shall be called a house of, of prayer. And so it is, we see Hannah and Anna in the temple 
praying. How wonderful that the biggest bulk of this entire chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1, is devoted to prayer. This is the catalyst for the story of Samuel and the story of Saul and the story of David, the great King David. The catalyst is a woman bereft and barren, pouring her heart out to God. You see it over and over again in 1 Samuel. It's the bulk of 1 Samuel. And then there's Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, another prayer. Have a look in verse 10. It says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. Verse 12, she continued praying before the Lord. Verse 13, Hannah was praying silently. Verse 15, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Verse 16, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Verse 26, I am the woman who has standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. The author leaves us in no doubt whatsoever that the spiritual powerhouse in this story is a socially impotent woman in the temple. Why else would he begin the story that way? But I want you to see that this is a woman who prayed. A woman who prayed. And this isn't any kind of prayer that she prayed. This is what you call a lament. Did you see that? Do you see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1? A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And sometimes that's what you need to do while you're waiting. Lament. Psalm 142 verse 2 says, I pour out my complaint before the Lord. I tell him all of my troubles. And isn't that what we see Hannah doing in the temple? Lamenting, pouring out her sorrow before the Lord. A few years ago, I was doing a 10-week course on prayer called A Praying Life. And, and for the last session, the, the final session, 10th session, we had, to, we had to write our own lament and we had to share it with, with the people. As many of you know, I've had my share of, of setbacks and sickness, and this was a point in time at which uh, I was at a particular low point with sickness, and so uh, I wasn't looking forward in the least to writing, having to write a lament and share it with these men that I was meeting with. And so I was lamenting the fact that I had to write a lament. Uh, I write out my journal, and, and I was just lamenting uh, the fact that I had to, that I had to do this. And then afterwards I realised, oh, this would make the perfect lament. And so I shared that with them instead. I want to share some of that with you this morning. I beg you to take away my fatigue and sickness, Lord. I'm so wretchedly sick that it makes me want to cry. So much stolen away from me for so, 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 so long, O Lord. I can't lament, Lord. It's too painful to acknowledge the reality of everything that's been taken away from me. It's too painful, Lord. I don't know if I can give that to you. It's too overwhelming, the grief, the loss and the pain. I can't name it, Lord, because you don't answer me and you don't hear me. I can't put it into words. I can't and I won't. It's asking too much. I'll be content with groans too deep for words. My grief is too great, Lord. You won't listen. You won't answer. You won't hear. You won't help. No matter how much I say, no matter how loud I cry, you are a brick wall to me, Father. I can't put it into words. Too much grief, too much pain, too much sadness, too much loss. I can't do it. Father, I doubt your goodness. I doubt your power. I doubt your love.
Hannah is pouring out her grief before the Lord in the temple. But I want you to see that the place of her greatest pain is the place of her greatest potential. And brothers and sisters, I can assure you that that has absolutely been my experience. For those of you who are in that place right now, I pray that the Lord gives you hope and strength in the resurrection power of Jesus. And what I have found is that the gift of lament that he gives us is the gift that he gives us so that God can convert our pain into his potential. Think about what Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. What did he pray? He prayed a lament taken straight out of Psalm 22 while he hung there on the cross, the place of his greatest pain and his greatest potential. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? May God give you the grace to pour out your pain as you watch and wait. We've looked at the pain of waiting, we've looked at the practice of waiting, and now let's look at the power of waiting. I think my favourite thing about this text, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, is that God introduces himself for the first time by a new name. He introduces himself by a new name. And the name that he gets, it's just like how he introduced himself as Jesus to Mary, the name of Jesus. And he gave the name of Jesus to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. So God in this story introduces himself for the first time by a new name. And that name in verse 3 is the Lord of hosts. It's the name that Hannah uses as the opening line of her prayer in verse 11. She cries out to God, O Lord of hosts. And you know who the Lord of hosts is, right? You know what that means, refers to, don't you? It's used another 230 times in the Old Testament and it refers to the fact that he's the commander of angel armies, that he has legions of angels armies and it speaks to his omnipotent power. How wonderful that he would introduce himself to Hannah, bereft and barren as the Lord of hosts and of omnipotent power. You see, this is the power that God's people were supposed to rely on later in the story instead of asking God for a king like the other nations. This is the omnipotent power that the little shepherd boy, David, used and relied on when he fought Goliath, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And this is the power that Hannah relied on in this story, in her weakness and failure and in her shame. She relied on the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And it was by this power that she experienced, you'll see in the story, a change of heart in her circumstances. At at the beginning, God may not have changed her circumstances, but he gave her a change of heart. Verse 18, it says, Then Hannah went to her quarters after she'd poured out her heart and ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was no longer sad. The Bible says those who look to the Lord are radiant. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, he imparted to her one of the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, along with peace and and patience. God gave it to her and gave her a change of heart. But we also see in this story, by the grace of God, that God gave her a change of circumstances. Have a look at verse 20. It says, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. God answered her prayer, her great outpouring of grief and sorrow. And in chapter 2, we see it 
burst out of her with praise and thanksgiving so that in verse 5 she says, the woman who is childless gives birth to seven. Just like the poor guy in the opening story who worked for seven up. The woman who was childless gives birth to seven. Beyond all you could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And she did. She went on to have six if you read verse 21. She had six kids. And of course the number here, seven, being a poetic number of God's omnipotence and God's power doing immeasurably more than she could ask or imagine according to his power. This is the power of waiting, not to mention what we've already said about Hannah being the catalyst for the movement of the kingdom of God through King David and Anna being the catalyst for the movement of the kingdom of God through King Jesus. Far more than we could ask or imagine. So if you get nothing else out of the story this morning, I hope you get this. Every time you pray, Jesus rocks up. Every time you pray, Jesus rocks up. People often say that the season of Advent is the season where we remember the first coming of Christ at Christmas and then we look forward to the second coming of Christ upon his return. But I've got a really big problem with that because where does that leave us now? Where does that leave us now? Jesus in John 14 verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The second coming is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will come to you. And he's talking about coming in the power and person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So that Paul can say, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He came to the church at Pentecost. He comes into our heart, the Spirit of Jesus, when we put our trust in him. And he comes whenever God's people pray. Friends, Perhaps from now on you can call it the fourth coming or the fifth coming because it's entirely wrong to think that he hasn't come by the Spirit already. At Pentecost, when you put your trust in him and when you pray, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And he comes every time we pray. Got 2,000 years of church history and theology to contend with on that one, but why don't we call it the fifth coming? He comes by his spirit when we pray. You see, Anna had to wait 84 years while she waited in the temple, watching and waiting and praying. But that was the old covenant, dear friends. That was the Old Testament. We're in the new covenant now. We don't wait 84 years for him to come. He comes whenever we pray. You see it all through the book of Acts and Luke, that Jesus rocks up when God's people pray. That's not sometimes, that's every time we pray. And so I want to give you a moment this morning to bring before God the place of your greatest pain and and dare to hope and believe and ask that this might be the place of your greatest potential. I want to give us a moment to pour out our hearts to God in the silence of our hearts. And if, if you can't think of what that is for yourself, then you can bring someone before you and let's pray with great faith that when we pray, Jesus rocks up. I want to give you a moment to do that now. Let's pray.